Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. What is going on, everybody? Episode 36, and I don't think... Nick's studio setting has ever looked so so good, even even here in Massachusetts. What I think in studio in studio in Massachusetts, it's hard to beat. But now down here in Virginia, we are making it work, and we finally got the good quality that we've been promising over the last month. Yeah. So our audio listeners are like, "Hey, the quality of the sound." Well, actually, the quality of the sound has gone up too. So if if you, I would hope so. It's a nice it's a nice microphone. <laughs> Yeah, so that's excellent. I've upgraded my microphone for any uh, audio nerds out there. It's a Shure SM7B. And Nick, I think you're using like Audio Tech something or other. It's a good one. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> it's it's a good one it as well. It's Audio Technic, Audio Technica. <laughs> there you go. Reading and talking at the same time. Okay, yeah. awesome. So, uh, Nick, you, so you're not on the road anymore. You've been watching disc golf from the couch like everybody else. Um, yeah, it was kind of nice. I played I played a tournament on Saturday, but yeah, Sunday I got to watch live disc golf, and that was pretty sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. So can I just, let's just, before we get into like the show show, this is like the pre-show show, is um, can I just talk a little bit about the struggles of doing disc golf podcast with live interviews? Nick, how hard is it? And we don't need to throw names out there, but how hard is it to go from a tournament win on Sunday evening to lining up guests, professional athletes for a live show yeah. on Monday nights? Like, what's your experience? <laughs> it's I, it's hit or miss. I mean, every single pro is different. Every single pro has stuff going on. Monday is pretty hard in the sense of for a lot of people, it's a good travel day. So a lot of people are traveling to the next tournament. Um, and that was one of the biggest kind of like things switching from the Thursday night podcast and the Monday night podcast was getting on those key players that we wanted to. Um, but so far we've been making it work. Uh, it is sometimes a struggle, but it's happening. Yeah. I, I just feel like it's, um, Hey, how did I, what did I do? Hold on a second. Here we go. Sorry guys. I, I do too much at once. I'm thinking about hiring a producer here in the future, <laughs> make my life easier to focus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things. I've been doing it for a long time with kids disc golf when I was doing that, like lining up pros and they're not bad people, but the topic here I'm trying to make is that they're professional athletes and they're not managers. And, um, I think every pro athlete should get a manager that we can just reach out to like, yes or no. Does this person want to be live on show interview? Like good morning America exactly. or whatever. And they can say yes or yeah. no. Well, I mean, I think we were talking about it a little bit, but a lot of other professional sports, actually, uh, the players kind of have to do the media press and everything like that. We're not obviously forcing people to come onto the podcast. Um, oh, yes, but eventually, we're forcing. I think that is something that, yeah, <laughs> I think eventually uh, manufacturers will want their players to get on more of these social media outlets for the publicity of themselves and the company. Yeah. So that's not a woe is us. I think, um, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say, Oh, poor us. I'm just saying like, we're doing the best we can to line up shows. And tonight we have the highest rated disc golfer in the world, Ricky Wysocki. Um, mm -hmm. I, I always laugh because I think is, is his, is his first name actually Richard? Do you know? Yeah. Okay. So like, you you ever I, see pretty, that YouTube video? Sure that YouTube video? Yeah. WTF yeah, yeah. Richard. So yeah. I always think it's funny, Richard. I want to be like, what's up, Richard? So he's yeah. going to be on the show. We've got mm -hmm. Casey White. Now, 
You may know Casey White because you've heard his name on live coverage a few times this past weekend. Um, or you've seen him on a Simon Lazat vlog. And then finally wrapping it up, Heather Young. Those are our three guest lineups tonight. And I think they're all going to bring something super interesting i think they're all yeah. interesting interviews nick um i'm excited for it is there anybody and i'm setting you up here is there anybody that you think would have been a great interview tonight that we weren't able to get um well obviously you know there's a pretty there was an amazing battle in both sides of the fields mpo and fpo heather young put a strong push towards katrina allen at the end it would have been awesome to hear both katrina's and heather's thoughts on that tournament tonight and then same thing with Ricky and Paul, hearing their thoughts on competing back to those two. Um, honestly, I think the cast that we got going on, though, is, is pretty awesome. <laughs> I agree. I am. Um, I'm trying to figure out, too. This is funny. Are you and I like professional podcasters? The answer is technically yes. But did we come from it? a... Yeah, I mean, technically, we're making money off of podcasting. We don't need to disclose our deals, but we don't tell people that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Isn't that what it is to be a pro? So I guess what I'm saying is, golf, yeah. but we are not formally trained. And some people are like, yes, Matt, we know. But one of the things I'm trying to do, and it's probably not, it's going to be a failed effort, is slow down the pace just a little bit. So uh, with, let's see here, we're at 707 if you're listening live. We're getting ready to bring Ricky into the green room. Nick, you were interested in the stats from this weekend. You had a question for me off air, but maybe you want to yeah. ask me and I will try to give you what I'm thinking. And then you can kind of correct me. <laughs> I can do that. So let's talk about, so there was a, let's see, like a six or seven way tie for sixth place something like that i think seven way tie for sixth place anywho so the top 12 players in the mpo division how many total bogeys during the last round do you think there were between between those uh top 12 players okay the top 12 finishers is that what you're saying mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. so and if you think about it, well, we know was, Casey was in there. We know Ricky was in there. Paul yeah. was in there. Calvin, et cetera. So, there was technically 216 holes played. Every player played 18 holes, obviously. So out of 216 holes, okay. how many bogeys were had? I'm just going to guess that there's going to be in the top 12, each person is going to average three. That's going to be my guess. I'm just going to guess that. I'm going to say 36. That's kind of my thought process there. 36, you would be way off. Whoa, you really? lost this game. Yeah, there was only eight total bogeys. <laughs> the last round. Eight total okay, bogeys so... between the top 12 players in the last round. There was no double bogeys between those players. And there wasn't much scoring separation. Wow. Throughout the last round. Yeah. Wow. So... Um, really only one stroke, maybe a two stroke swing here and there, but mostly only a one stroke swing. Tell me um, your thought process on the, you texted me earlier this week and you mm -hmm. said, um, Matt, we're going to have to talk about um, par. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit what you think about that, because I'm getting ready to bring Ricky in and I need a little filler yeah, space. So, <laughs> so uh, I mean, I kind of, my thought towards it was a couple of the holes. I thought the par was a little... I think those eagleable holes, I think players were eagling them sometimes with 
ease. There was a couple albatrosses out in the course on hole 13. If you got a perfect drive on it, which I know it was hard to do, it looked like a super wooded hole, but um, it didn't look like a good hole. So I think a couple of the pars and everything like that, I think were a little soft, but that's kind of my thought towards it. There wasn't really too much scoring separation on those. Even that hole 13 in the final round, both Ricky and Paul, uh, I think Ricky had a shorter putt than Paul did, but they both made relatively easy threes in a sense. So I think the course in itself was a little soft for the top professionals of our sport, but at the same time, you know, they, they did play very well. You you can't take that away from them. (laughs) Yeah. So that, that is tremendous. So, Nick, you did great with the filler there. We got Ricky Wysocki in the green room, and we're not going to waste his time. So let's go ahead and bring him on the show. And there he cool. is, Ricky Ricky Wysocki, up, live. Ricky? live. Going, guys? Yeah, awesome. Hey, we were asking right before we brought you on, and this was not one of our planned questions, but is your first name Richard? Yeah, my real name is Richard, but <laughs> nobody calls me that. <laughs> yeah. We we were laughing about the YouTube video. You seen that one? WTF, Richard? So <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, the Tosh video. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're really excited to have you on the show, and we've got questions that I think your fans, our fans, everybody would probably like to know. Um, I just want to start out by saying congratulations on the win. Obviously, um, you averaged a thousand and seventy nine golf. Um, and that's above your player rating, which you're the highest rated player in the world now. Um, I'm going to keep the accolades coming. <laughs> Shooting 16 under par. Okay. With Paul McBeth starting out the final round in the lead. Okay. So you had to shoot 16 under par, but Paul was in the lead. How does your mindset differ going up against McBeth when he has a small lead in a final round versus anyone else? So you're going into it. McBeth's got the lead. What's your mindset compared to maybe another tournament? Is it different? Um, I mean, it's it's not really different. I mean, in in my eyes, you know, he's he's a great competitor, and you know, we've obviously had a ton of great battles. But um, you know, you still have to play out the tournament. And one stroke is like that's basically that's basically nothing at our level. One stroke is like, you know, three, four, five strokes. Like that's when it starts really making a difference mm-hmm. as far as you know, really being able to change your game plan. If it's only one stroke, you can't really change your game plan. You got to be aggressive at our level. When it's just me versus him, we're going to be getting tons of birdies. We're going to be throwing great shots, and we're going to be really pressing. And so I knew that coming in, that, that one stroke really wasn't going to make a difference until obviously later into the round. Um, but, yeah, no, it's uh, it's awesome, I think, for, for us as players to be both playing at the high levels that we know we can and should be playing at. And it's awesome for us. It's awesome for the spectator, I think. I think it's a great storyline for the sport. And, um I think it's just a true sign that if we're both playing at the high level, it's it's great for, for us as competitors. We play better, uh, thriving off each other's competition and the energy that we that we bring to the course, and it's great energy for the spectators. So it's it's awesome for everyone involved, and it's great to be a part of it. Absolutely. Uh, so playing Bell, and I was kind of alluding on this just a little bit before he got on the show, but it seemed to be a birdie fest out there. And so kind of my questions are, how hard was it shooting 16 down the final round? And do you think you could shoot 18 down at that course if you had more tries at it, even during a cash round? Do you think you could shoot 18 down there? Yeah, 100 percent for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it the 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 course is it's a great course. The pars may be a little off, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, just as far as the holes and the design and everything, the shots you have to throw, it's a great course. It's yeah. uh, you, um, so I think that uh, the pars, I think, are a little bit a little bit soft. I think I heard you saying that at the right, mm-hmm. right when I was tuning in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's definitely true. I think it is. The pars are softer. The par five is realistically more of like a par four. And then the the whole eight is, is more of like, it's, I would say it's more of just for the top players, it's more of like just a really challenging par three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so that, that being said, there, there are some par issues, I think with the course does um, just, I wouldn't even call it design because the design of the holes are great. And yeah. so I think that, that you can definitely take that away from this week is that, that I think that you, you, we may potentially see this as an elite series event in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't talked to Jeff about it for sure, but I kind of, I talked to him a little bit about the details and he said it's potentially could happen. We've got like Portland open and we got Beaver mm-hmm. State playing. Those are two events that could potentially be in the same area of the country and both be elite series events. And you got Waco and potentially the Belton, the open this week. Uh, and those could two be two potential events that are real close to each other and, and be elite series events. So the course is elite series quality. Mm-hmm. I think uh, next, after this year, we can go ahead and, and probably just take out hole 13. I think it's just a crapshoot hole that, uh, yep. that shouldn't be there. doesn't fit the course. doesn't fit the par. doesn't fit anything. doesn't fit the flow of the course. So nothing really fits. I think they found that out the hard way with all the backups and all the just, yeah. <laughs> so all the stuff that went along with it, I don't want to, I don't want to harp on it too much, but yeah, it just wasn't a great hole in, in uh, any circumstance, but overall, as, as far as the course goes, it just, it's, it's semi-challenging. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we shredded it, but you know, we, we shredded it and we, we separated ourselves. So there, not, you know, there was, there was some holes out there that had some teeth and with the wind and the OB came into, came into play a little bit. Um, and uh, you obviously saw me and Paul avoid that pretty well and uh yeah. score well but yeah i i was really pumped with the course i think it was uh it was an awesome awesome yeah playoff. and changing the pars obviously is pretty easily i mean you can look back at 2019 waco when paul shot the 18 down in 2020 they had changed those par fours nine and 18 or excuse me nine yeah nine 18 and 12 and they made them all um they were par fives and then now they are par fours so i think changing pars is pretty easy and if the pros are thinking that the course quality is good enough to be an elite series event, I think that's something that you obviously have to take into consideration, but definitely take out 13. That looked like, I mean, I, I kept seeing Instagram posts of, you know, four card backups on that hole. Like that, that's just wild, but yeah. Oh no, totally. It was, it was, it was wild. Um, but, but yeah, I think that, like you said, with Waco this year, the, the, the scoring to par wasn't as good as it was in years past. And that's just because they, kind of up to, updated with the times or, or whatever you want to call it because yeah. they, they saw that kind of what what happened in the past and there's nothing wrong with shooting 18 under but at the same time you know you want to make the pars out there hard and and sometimes shooting 10 12 under is is a solid round you, sh- you know some some courses and some uh the way the pars laid out some courses 10 or 12 unders is just as good as maybe an 18 under like at at um uh, you know belton or like fountain hills or something yep. like that yep yeah, so we we were actually doing a little comparison. This was a three-round event. You finished 43 under par, like Memorial Fountain mm-hmm. Hills, you know, four-round event typically at uh, Memorial, and they're shooting about 40. So obviously the par is different, but we've had a whole discussion on what does par actually matter? Is it a perception thing? So that's a whole nother conversation yeah. because you're going to shoot the same way, most likely, whether the par has changed or not. But um, you did something a minute ago that I've done, like, all weekend, I called it the Belton at the open or something. And like, it's so hard for me to be like, it's the open at Belton. <laughs> yeah, okay, I did the same thing. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> That's funny. It's just, it's one of those, it's like, what is it? The open, you know, it's everything's like MVP open or whatever. But anyways, yeah. Um, to take it to this, this place, you alluded to this a minute ago. You thought it was like a great storyline for people. Paul McBeth, Ricky Wysocki. I've been watching the sport for 14 years um, I've seen it happen numerous times. 
uh, Paul Macbeth made a what I would consider a classy post, as well as you, a social media post, both of you acknowledging. And I think you used similar wording, which I found interesting, as it was a chapter, uh, a ch- another chapter in the the Wysocki Macbeth saga or whatever. And um, c- it, touching on that, um, this rivalry, do you view this as a rivalry? And then if so, like, how do you personally view the rivalry? Like, what is the mindset in your head? Are you guys dueling enemies or a great competitor? Like, what is your view of this rivalry? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's something that's, yeah, it's a deep, deep rooted rivalry. I mean, it's it's like some sports you have these, you know, players that will be rivals for a couple of years here and there. For me and Paul, it's been what, what, since, you know, we used to tour back together back in the day in like 2000, I don't even know, 2011, 2012. And then once we kind of got super competitive, it kind of seemed like, it was kind of like we couldn't really be too close with friends because we're like so competitive and so um, such rivals. They're kind of like, you know, traveling the same van or same spot every week, staying <laughs> in the same hotels, like kind of wasn't really like it's kind of a little bit weird. Um, so so it kind of it kind of got to that point. And then and then like you just, you know, 2012 all the way till, you know, up till still now. I mean, you know, we're, we're battling at each other's throats, you know, week in and week out. And, and so it's been. You know, it's it's been just a strict rivalry, and it's just something where I want to beat him so bad, he wants to beat me so bad, and and most of the times that's what it is. It's uh, obviously we're trying to beat the field, but most of the time it ends up turning into me versus Paul battles. As much as the field hates that, that's just what it turns into, because you know, like this week, same thing. You know, you kind of saw the the writing on the wall after round two. You know, we mm-hmm. were separated by six or seven strokes, and uh, when me and me or Paul are one stroke off the lead, and vice versa. And we're six strokes away from third. Good luck catching us, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, so it's yeah, it's uh, it's something to where it's it's just the energy between us is just something that like we thrive off of it. Just as players, uh, with the gap, you can see you can feel it when there's galleries there, when there's spectators there, they thrive off of it. And so it's just a culmination of 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 rivalry between the fans, the spectators. You know, someone's rooting for Paul, someone's rooting for me, and you know their their buddies are you know rival fans because they they want Paul to win versus me to win mm-hmm. or whatever and and uh, and so I think it's just a, a culmination of of everything coming together just the way the sport's growing too I think it's great for the sport it's great for you know his brand obviously it's great for my brand so I think it's great for everybody involved and and uh, you know I think that it's it's just awesome to be a part of it and it's yeah it's been a, it's been a long time coming I don't think and if I think it's this week was a true test to show everybody that if, if he's playing at a high level and I'm playing at the highest level that I can, <laughs> we're, uh, we're going to be, we're going to be right there. It doesn't matter who's playing the tournament and uh, it doesn't matter what tournament it is. We're going to treat it like the world's. Can I, <laughs> can I follow up on that a little bit? You mentioned the uh, fans and the idea of a show and on the course, I know there's still uh, regulation um, restricting, you know, fans, if you will, the amount of fans. And, um, is that something I it's, I think it's a dumb, not a dumb question, but to say, is that something you're missing? Cause I'm assuming it is, but how do you think that would have changed the feeling during that round to have, let's say two or 300 people following? Like, what do you think's missing there? And what do you think you would have experienced differently than you did without them? Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, um, we both feed off of the, the competition, the adrenaline, the, um, the pressure, the way we handle it. And we both do such a good job mentally handling that and harnessing that into something positive. And I think that's what separates us in the long run when uh, when we come down the stretch of tournaments is uh, is that we we um, we thrive off of that. And that's something that a lot of people, they try to do. And it's something I, I 
had to work a lot, a long time to get to the point where I'm at right now to where once I get under the nerves, I get under the pressure, then you really start harnessing it and, and actually letting it motivate you instead of letting the nerves attack you and, and start doing weird things you don't normally do, which it does to a lot of people. And it does to us too. It's not like, you know, I, I, I do certain things when I'm under a lot of pressure sometimes that I don't normally do. So I'm not perfect. Um, but the, the crowd actually, you know, it adds a little bit more pressure, adds a little bit more of the nervy factor because you got all these people watching it. And at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 I think we just put so much pressure on ourselves. It doesn't matter that if there's, you know, 10,000 spectators there or, you know, 50 or hundred, you know, we just want to win so bad that it's more of like, we just put the pressure on ourselves. So it doesn't matter how many spectators are there putting the pressure on us and watching us that it's just like, it's going to be the same feeling as if, if there's two versus you know thousands. Do you know, do you yeah. know how bad I wish I could compete at the highest level? I would love to have that feeling. <laughs> good, good job for you guys. <laughs> All right, Nick, what do you got? Yeah. One of the, uh, one of the craziest things and we've talked about this a lot in weeks past is it's kind of hard to tell, like, you know, everyone always does predictions on who's going to win the tournament. And this year, I don't think I've had a correct prediction because it's been so wild. <laughs> and even in the sense of podium finishes, and I think this is your first podium finish of the year so far. Like, is this something that we can expect more throughout the year of look at this point, there's so many great competitors that it could be anybody's weekend. Or do you feel like you're finally getting into the groove of things of, you know, you're going to see your name at the top more and more. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, just personally speaking, my game wasn't where I wanted it to be in, in uh, Vegas and in Waco, so to say. And, uh, and I really clicked some, some things with my swing, some things with my putt. Uh, just that, that little bit extra, um, little bit extra consistency and confidence, and that equates to a lot of strokes for me. And I, I really feel like I've clicked. And um, there's a lot of players right now that are that are playing solid. A lot of young kids coming up. Um, but I think that at the same time, you know, it's it's still the the, the, the tough thing that to explain to people is that if, if Paul's playing at, at at the best of his ability, or I'm playing at the best of my ability. It really, I mean, it, it really just, it still doesn't, I mean, it doesn't happen every week. And that's why it may seem like, you know, if, you know, if his game's a little off or my game's a little off, there's going to be other people and that's, that's just going to happen. That's, that's the nature of sports. You're not going to be perfect every week. But, um, but yeah, I think that there's definitely potential. I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion that this, these battles are going to happen a lot more coming, uh, coming in the future. Uh, but it's good to see that there's a lot of like Calvin's playing solid right now. He's mm -hmm. super consistent. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's been playing, you know, he's got a top five finish in like every, every tournament so far, which with the way that, um, you know, the, the competition is right now, that's, that's really solid. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot more weight as far as points and all this stuff with the, with top five finishes. I mean, and like you said, there's a lot of people that are good and a lot of people playing at a high level right now. And so that means a lot. So yeah, absolutely. You had me thinking, about how exciting it was to watch all this competition. I'm just getting all like amped right now. Like, it, like the way you probably feel like going to watch NFL or NBA, like I'm starting to feel that with you guys, like yeah. where I'm like, I want to see more of that. And for instance, like, I don't know, I think you like golf and gent like ball, stick and ball, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, yeah. um, what you, did you ever watch the match, you know, between, um, uh, what's his name? Tiger and, um, What's Phil, 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 Phil <laughs> Mickelson. Yeah. So you can tell I'm not yeah. that into golf. Yeah. But Tiger and Phil, yeah, yeah. um, mic'd up like that was good stuff, man. Do you ever foresee something like that happening? If we could get a big enough prize on the line for you guys or something like that would be cool. Yeah, no, I think it would be really cool. I think that it would be something to where, yeah, I'd give the fans kind of insight as to like what we're thinking. Maybe, you know, if we're little snippets of us talking, 
through different scenarios, different situations when, you know, like you said, if there's a lot of money on the line or whatever the situation may be, I think that would be, that would be awesome for sure. I mean, Nick, I think that I'd be probably down for it. And you know, yeah, it's right, uh, well, something you just got to plan out with the schedule and see, all right. see what can happen. The Nick and Matt show. We're going to sponsor this, Nick. <laughs> yeah. We're going to present. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to go for the, uh, right before the MVP open. We'll get something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that would be uh, epic. So awesome. I'm just telling course. you. We won't do it at Maple Hill. We'll just do it at a neutral course. Yeah. 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 Totally. I'm just telling you, man, yeah, like venue. amped up. I love the competition you guys brought. Um, and so that's really all we had about the tournament. I kind of want to take a little turn here because there's been some recent news in the disc golf world, and I'm sure it has not eluded you seeing your competitor, the guy we've just were talking about as in being good for your brand because of the, the competition that it brings. Um, Paul Macbeth comes out with a blockbuster announcement on his contract, making it public. Um, do you feel like it'd be beneficial for the sport if more disc golfers, professional disc golfers, made their contracts public like we see in most every other sport? Um, do you feel like, and do you feel like Paul doing that, meaning not everybody else is doing that. <laughs> do you feel like Paul doing yeah. that was beneficial for the sport? Like, what's your take on that? Like contracts and publicity. Um, um, it's, yeah, no, I think it's overall, I mean, it's good for, good for the sport, no doubt. Um, it's kind of the first time that that's really like, you know, first time that it's kind of happened, I guess in the, in the sport. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't. I mean, I'm, of course, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the sport. I'm happy that, you know, all these kids, young kids are coming up and seeing that. And they're like, hey, you know, like, you know, this is something that I can, you know, get into. And my parents, you know, are going to support me uh, playing disc golf as opposed to the stereotype that we've had in the past with, you know, just, you know, hippie stoners type thing. And, and, and that stuff is like almost so far in the past now to where that, that this stuff and the contracts and all this, all these different things that are that are happening in disc golf. Um, it really legitimizes it in a lot of people's eyes to the point where, you know, they, they look at it different. They look at it as a true professional sport and we we're true professional athletes that we are. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I never really went public with any of my stuff um, just cause it wasn't really the norm and not the, and, and I just, you know, I just didn't, but I mean, yeah, I mean, my next contract, you know, it's something to where maybe, you know, I saw what Paul did and helped, you know, you know, rejuvenate the sport and help pe open people's eyes something that I can do the same and then, you know, do the same thing. It helps a lot of people in future generation, future players realize, you know, realize their worth also. That's also what's happened, happening a lot with the, with the players is the co big companies have just, I guess, just taken advantage of the players because they didn't know their value. And so mm -hmm. most, most players would just, you know, take what they got and be happy with that. And, and they didn't really look any deeper as far as, Hey, how many discs am I selling? You know, we're, we're athletes. We're just, we're, we have, we're, there's a number and, you know, we, we have a number that we're worth to a company based on how much we sell, how much our branding's worth, social media influence. There's so many different variables that go into that number as to what we're worth. You know, um, Paul's got an amazing brand. He's an, on top of that. He's an amazing player. I'm, I'm, I'm an amazing player right next to him. My brand's not quite as big. So, but it's, it's very close. I mean, whatever you want to say. Um, but, but yeah, he's obviously the number one name, number one brand. So he's going to get paid the most, which he rightfully deserves and has earned. And then, you know, the, you know, the top five players can basically situate themselves mm -hmm. in, a, in a spot after that and say, hey, you know, Paul's worth, you know, whatever per year, a million dollars with whatever contract he signed. You know, if I'm the second best player in the world, I should be getting, you know, X amount. And they go to their company and say, hey, this is. You know, this is why I feel like I, you know, I feel like I deserve this. And this is my market value, I guess is a good word for it. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, he's he's he's. It's awesome that he's done that for you know. Obviously for himself, he's got you know he came out ahead and did the right thing and and we got an amazing contract. But it's going to help a lot of future. It's going to help the future generation for sure a lot. I, I yeah, think, I think yeah. that's that's obviously an incredible way to look at it. And you know, I think one of the other things that you said as well was this manufacturer is kind of having the monopoly over what they valued players at, and not a lot of players knew what they were valued at. And so I think him coming out with this, you can kind of now compare the accolades of what these other, like you just said, the top five competitors can now say, hey, I've done this, this, and this. This is what I think I deserve to be paid. And you can kind of go to there. And I think it's great for the player themselves. And now they find their value. They find their worth in that. So, No, it's 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 awesome. And I think that, um, that the, the, the manufacturers are starting to realize that the players are realizing that, hey, we're we know what we're worth and, you know, we're going to stick to our guns and, mm. and, and, and fight for what mm. for what we've earned as players. Mm. Just like anything, you have a you have a time span as an athlete to maximize your potential. And um, and yeah, you have to you have to make as much money as you can while you're in your prime, mm-hmm. you know, which disc golf's, you know up until you're probably 35 to 40 somewhere in that range but you know is when you can you know you know obviously just in general and so yeah the, the companies are starting to realize that hey they don't have as much leverage as they used to because the players are digging deeper the contracts are going public and all the things that are going into the fact that the players really are like digging deep and and, and realizing what they're worth instead of just settling for whatever contract they can get exactly Wow. I, I was, I, I'm right there with everything you're saying. I'm excited for the sport. I see people like you, players like you, Ricky Wysocki, the brand Saki Bomb. Um, and obviously your trademark, or hopefully your trademark Saki Bomb is back. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. obviously like players like Eagle, um, and, and I'm not going to go down the whole list. I'll leave people off, but, um, you're not wrong. Everyone's going, eh, I could beat Paul and I just, I have a brand. So now you have negotiating power. So I appreciate your perspective a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and that's, that's the biggest thing is, is having, uh, obviously for me, the, my number one, you know, my number one goal is be the best player I can be, win tournaments and get my name out there and, and also expand my brand. Uh, you know, some players, um, are starting are trying to make the names for themselves the other way around. They're trying to be a brand and play decent, not really be, have a chance to win, but they're just building a brand through YouTube and, and this stuff, which is, there's, there's a value in that as well. Um, but, um, if you can do both, then to a company, you're, you're, you're worth a lot more than if you're just one or the other. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Rick, what does it mean to you? We talked enough about everybody else. I want to hear from your perspective, your opinion and your feelings with this recent announcement of being the acknowledged and awarded the highest rated disc golfer in the world. Like, what does that mean to you? Did you expect that? <laughs> what does it mean to you? Um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the, the, the biggest thing with ratings is consistency. I think that's what that shows. Um, it, it shows the consistency of your play, uh, you know, through obviously however many tournaments. So that's, that's the biggest thing is I feel like I've always been such a consistent player and I've prided myself on that. I've got a lot of wins. And then when I'm not winning, I'm, I'm right in contention. And I feel like I've gotten a lot of high finishes just because, like I said, I'm, I, I think the biggest thing that separates me is I don't have a, st- I have a style of court. Like I play well in the woods, but I can play in Vegas. I can play in the Memorial and still have play well and, and give myself chances to win. I've won Vegas before. And so, whereas a lot of people have, you know, they prefer the woods or they prefer the open courses and throughout a season and throughout a, a career, you know, 
creating a rating or getting a rating, you know, we're playing in Delaware, we're playing in Vegas, we're playing in, you know, Portland, we're playing, and they all have different styles of play. And so based on how you, you know, you know, your certain players are going to play well one week versus the other week and their rating is going to fluctuate based on that. And so I think that's why I've been so high rated for so long is because I'm able to do that throughout not just one tournament, not even just through a season, but through the past eight to 10 years that I've been playing professionally mm-hmm. at the top level. And so that's why that's what I take pride in the most. Um, obviously, I have a lot of, you know, wins to my name and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, the rating actually, you know, it, it, it does mean something. And I and 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 that's yeah, that's the biggest thing is consi- that's what I look at when I see rating is I see consistency. And because that's how you can judge someone's 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 shooting, shooting well. And um, and I know there's some funky stuff with the ratings, not a perfect system. Um, but it's it's definitely something that ha- there has value and there's something there that you can look at and take from it. Yeah, I think consistency is definitely one of the best ways to put the rating system at. And like you just said, there are a ton of different flaws and there are a ton of different propagators that go into the rating system. But for the most part, it is, you know, if you see Ricky Wysocki, 1054 rated, highest rated player in the world, more than likely at the next five, six, seven, eight events, however many events, you're going to see your name pretty much at the top of that. Consistently, you are playing at a high caliber level. Then you do have those thousand rated guys who will pop off and shoot a 1040 average rated tournament. That does happen. But for the most part, you are consistently putting up 1050 plus rated rounds, obviously. I mean, look at Belton. You won it averaging 1079. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the thing is th- that's why, you know, there's a lot of newer players coming up and, and, and there's a lot of people that want to make a splash and make a name for themselves and, and try and get a big contract from one of these companies. And that's the goal. But, um, it's still, I mean, me and Paul are just so settled in the sport. We're so, you know, we have seen so much. We've played under so many different situations that it's once, once we both are, you know, you know, feeling ourselves as far as our games and our games are on point, then, then it's really like, it's, it's, it's really going to be a sight to see. And I, and, and just, just playing last week, I know that, you know, he's playing really well, his game, you know, obviously he wants to win just as much as I do. But um, we can both tell each other. We play with each other for so long that we can tell when our when each other's swing and each other's game is on and mm-hmm. playing at a high level. And it's, uh, yeah, I think it's um, it's really exciting for me. And it's, it should be exciting for the spectators that are going to be watching the battles. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I guess in closing out, and it, it can be a shorter answer than a longer one because we've kind of gotten to the topic here, but is – um, do you have an agent that would be negotiating for you or is that something you're considering? I know it's newer to the sport, but like, is that something you'd consider in future negotiations? Um, yeah, so I've got, I've got a tour manager that works with me right now. She helps with, uh, with emails. She helps with social media. She helps with a, a lot of my, uh, just day to day stuff while I'm on the road to, to allows me to just practice and, and do my thing. And so she helps line up Airbnbs and just all the different behind the scenes stuff that goes in, into being on tour. And so she takes care of that. So I can w- worry about playing, but as far as an agent, I don't officially have one. I have uh, I have a, a couple people on my team that, that, that uh, talk to my sponsors and work out deals kind of like an agent in a, in a way uh, they work on my behalf and my interest and best interest. They're not like, I wouldn't say they're there's actually like sports agents, mm-hmm. um, but it's something that definitely it's getting to that level to where it's, it's going to have to be, uh, definitely thought about from my camp as far as like do we want to have you know go at the next contract deal and and get someone like that on board and it would be well worth it for both parties you mm. know, the sponsors yeah. and the athlete yeah i just Absolutely. think I'm, I'm, in, 
legitimate on paper. Yeah, I'm watching the chat, and we we've been trying to draw back a little bit on the chat. I, I still see it, and if the good points made, we'll <laughs> we'll talk about it. But people are talking, and specifically Brody Smith's in there, and a whole bunch of the other chat room right now is saying like. Um, you know, we're talking about the deals and all that and agents and how that would help. And I was just curious your mindset going forward. I think you're right. It's not fully there, but it's where it needs to get. So I'm excited for the future. I think you personally, I do not know your deal. You've never made it public, but I feel like you're worth a lot of money. So I, and this is just coming from a talk show host. I think you should go get as much money as you can. Um, I'm not saying that the sport is about money. But I think if yeah. you're bringing the players and you're bringing the disc sales and just everything that you've done for the sport is the highest rated player in the world. I, I hope the best for you, Rick. Uh, oh, dude. Yeah. To- I appreciate it, man. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And what yeah, I meant ahead. by the agent as far as um, in the future is what I meant is like my next contract deal, not just the future disc golf, but like the next opportunity yeah. that I have to negotiate a contract. I will pretty much entertain that or, or do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what I mean by the future. And so, it's almost like if you're a top player and you're, you know, you're getting to that point, it's almost worth it now uh, that you that you have to do it. Obviously, if, if if my contract expired this year, which it doesn't, then I would probably go ahead and, and start talking to an agent potentially. But it's not hasn't. I still I think I still have another another two years on my contract, so it's not quite to that level yet. But yep. when it is, like I said in the future, when it is, then I will, you know, definitely be entertaining that. Awesome, Absolutely. Nick. You want to close out well, this interview? I was going to say, Ricky, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Just uh, give a quick little 30 seconds. Obviously, you're the highest rate player in the world, one of the most recognizable names and faces in disc golf. But where, if people don't follow you already, where can they follow you on Instagram, YouTube? What's going on? Yeah, SakiBomb13 on, on Instagram and uh, Twitter. And then uh, Facebook. Yeah, I have, a, I have a Facebook uh, page that I update a lot. It's uh, Ricky SakiBomb Wysaki. I, I update that a lot. I interact with people as much as I can post discs and, and cool stuff and Saki bomb apparel. And I got my website, Saki bomb.com. If you guys want to check that out and got a lot of cool apparel and uh, different things on there. Cool. Well, once again, we really appreciate you coming on Ricky. Good luck at Texas States and we'll see you in the future. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so Thank much, you. Rick. We wish you the best. See you. All right. Bye. <clears throat> All right, everybody. That was the highest rated disc golfer in the world. Arguably the best mm-hmm. And I don't know if I need to put an asterisk on that. Um, He's a really great, great disc golfer. And we saw a phenomenal course record round. Um, He's done a lot. He And did you hear, uh, I'm calling you Rick. (laughs) Yeah. Did you hear what he said, Nick? And just just your thoughts on a follow-up on it. He said his brand is big. And he was like, he, he was teetering on that, maybe not as big as Paul, but but big, maybe close to it, very close to it. What do you think about that? I mean, do you feel like, where do you see the separation in his brand versus Paul? Like, what do you see as the biggest separator? Well, one of the things, I mean, Ricky setting up the whole Saki Bomb brand, it's obviously, it's been around for a little while now. Uh, one of the biggest things Ricky does is Ricky, you know, he moves plastic. He sells a lot of discs with his stamps on it. He comes out with multiple different stamps for those discs. He's got shirts, he's got polos, stuff like that. Um, his brand is there. It's developing. It's getting there. I think where Paul's brand is bigger is that Discraft really went in and took the PM brand, the Paul Macbeth brand, the PM logo. And they branded it onto sweatshirts, shirts, you know, sometimes they put it on discs here and there, but they put it on trucker hats, regular hats, flex fits and everything like that to where the brand just became, you know, almost like the Nike and the Michael Jordan, excuse me, the Jordan brand. 
And that was kind of how the Discraft and the PM brand um, things were kind of going along that line. So I think advertisement wise, I think Discraft did more with the PM brand than obviously Innova has been doing with the Saki Bomb brand. But like Ricky said, it's getting there. He does do a lot of posting about it. I know that when we were all down in Waco, he was moving plastic. He had pictures. He had um, videos going on about. Like he said, his tour manager, she helps out a ton of a ton with that as well. Yeah, I, uh, I he does have a big brand. I mean, is he is his name as recognizable as Paul Macbeth's? And I feel like hands down. I feel like hands down, yes, in the disc golf world for sure. Outside of the disc golf world, mm-hmm. like you know, yeah. TMZ, I think in the disc golf ESPN, world, yeah. maybe not as much. In the disc golf world, Ricky's name is definitely you know up there with Paul's. Absolutely. Outside of the disc golf world, Paul still has an upper hand on everyone. Um, pretty much. Uh, by by kind of a long shot at this point right now. <laughs> by kind of a long I shot. Think. All right, let's do this. Yeah, just we we've got Casey White in our green room, everybody. And uh, w- without further delay, uh, we-, we will talk more about that rivalry to come. I thought that was some interesting topics, but let's bring them in. Oh, it says Casey. I mean, it says Ricky Wysocki. So I've done that before. We're going to introduce yes, him. Casey. <laughs> I was going to say, you can put him back on the screen. We can talk to him. <laughs> yeah, there he is. Ricky White. Casey, Casey White, highest rated player. Casey White, welcome to the show. Um, Totally cool to have you. You're on the road. It doesn't look like you're in a van. Where are you at right now in between tournaments or what's going on? Well, we just drove to Tyler, Texas this morning and met with Alyssa's dad and he is in town. He just flew down from Minnesota and he's playing the Texas state championships this weekend. So we are currently staying with him at his hotel. Okay. Very nice. Okay. Awesome. How well we'll get to this. We'll get to that question. Man, I was just going to jump ahead. Let's go. Let's go ahead and talk about your recent performance. Sixth place sixth place at a disc golf pro tour this is an elite series that's no small feat nowadays um so how does that leave you feeling does this uh say anything about like what what does this say to you about your your good showing at this event you're like is this what we should expect did you feel like you were on fire or did you feel like i'm starting to like cruise here like first of all congratulations maybe you can just enlighten us to how you felt well thanks um first of all i mean like just practicing the course i felt like all i really committed to doing was choosing my disc correctly like just knowing where the worst miss is and then just not making that mistake the first round i was really just feeling it i didn't really think much about it but i knew i was stringing together a bunch of good shots but round two is when it calmed down and i really did not shoot that well but then yesterday in the final round i just kind of felt like i was shooting how I should and like the putts that usually after the round I'm talking about oh if only those would have went in I feel like they were going in and it was just kind mm-hmm. of I don't know it wasn't so much like the perfect round being put together but it was just I was playing exactly how I know I should and what I know what I'm capable of and I mean that is definitely my highest performance at any event especially mm-hmm. with the stacked field that there was at the tournament but I mean, I just I think that basically the tournament was everybody except for Simon and Eagle. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, player-wise, there wasn't really too many people who weren't at that event. Obviously, Eagle being one of the most recognizable people. Simon's off the road right now, so you know we'll yeah, give so- him a break on that one. But you're traveling in a van now. So you started that up this year. You and your girlfriend are both out in the van. You're living the van life. You renovated it and everything like that. What do you feel are the advantages so far touring in a van? 
I mean, it's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, the flexibility is definitely the best. We just have been, Alyssa and I have been reaching out to like hosts or tournament directors and just saying all we need is a place to park. And some days running up at this parking spot and other days running up at the house. And like we played a B tier, the Crush on the Concho in San Angelo, Texas a couple weeks ago. And there's camping at the course. So a couple of the times we were just like sitting by the fire and we're like, yeah, we'll just park here. But then the other times we're like, no, we'll go back and hang at the house. So it's just kind of fun being able to just wherever we are, doesn't matter where we are, we're home. You know what I mean? Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we're going to get a little bit deep here, but people are going to start to hear about you more. Um, we heard about you during the live feed quite a few times, especially because it's the last round. It was live. That's, a, that's how the silver series are working and you were yep. making a significant push in the front nine, especially, but, um, what should people expect from you in the sense of not necessarily your competition level? I ask that a lot to a lot of our interviews, but more this is, are you touring around now more as a career choice? Or is this more of a hobby that you're taking advantage of in this current situation? Like, you're like, this is the time I can go play disc golf. Or is it like you're really pursuing this as a career? Like, what's your mindset? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, ever since I graduated high school, I've been pursuing this as a career the entire time. Whether I was working five days a week with my dad and then just playing beach years on the weekend, I was still making more money playing disc golf than I was working my full-time job. Mm -hmm. So now that I'm in the van with my girlfriend and our dog we're just kind of living the dream doing what i know we want to do and i don't know i don't see anything changing anytime soon so absolutely approaching us as a career and very far from a hobby as far as i'm concerned yeah no definitely and i think having the van obviously makes it more accessible for you to be able to go out into these different events um mm -hmm. so Obviously, earlier last year, uh, let's say midway through, uh, just about, you were picked up by Discmania, sponsorship-wise. You got a promotion at the end of that year. You are now playing on the, is it pretty much called the tour team? Yeah, it's the tour team. Okay, so tour team. I remember years and years ago, we're talking like when you first started up, you were a big trilogy kind of player. And yep. then you kind of left that. You were throwing some Innova. You had a zone in the bag. You had some Discmania stuff. Do you think other companies missed out on an opportunity by not signing you? Or do you think you like you've got it made right now with Discmania in the sense of like you found the company that you really want to be promoted by and a company that you really want to promote? All of the above. Yeah. I think that is all of the above, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, ever since I was nonstop supporting trilogy and trying to get close with all of my teammate, all my friends that were on the team. And then when they sent me the email saying I didn't get on the team after I had a really good season in 2018, I immediately was like, no more free advertisement. And basically, ever since then, that's been my driving motivation was to just make them regret not signing me. Mm -hmm. But absolutely with Dismania, I do think that it was a good thing. And it was like a blessing in disguise to get the weight for the right team. And I definitely think I found my place with how solid my discs are in my bag and just mm -hmm. the people I'm on the team with and all of it in itself is just, I feel like I'm where I need to be. Good. Awesome. <laughs> you know, I think kind of like in closing with that, I think it's kind of funny that the Maine players up in the state of Maine, they scheduled the whole Maine versus Massachusetts challenge on a weekend where a lot of us will be at the preserve. So you don't even have any yeah. of the, you know, top level players in Massachusetts playing that event, kind of a bummer and everything like that. But, Oh, anyways, I'm so, just poking fun at the main I, I like I like <laughs> your take on it, Casey. May, 
and you can elaborate a little bit, make them regret it. I, I think, would you say the regret would be that next time they come back to make you an offer that it's going to have to be 10 million for 10 years? I mean, what, what's your, <laughs> um, are you turning down, would you, would you turn down sponsors uh, just because they you felt like they roasted you or they they missed out on the opportunity or would you or would you uh, facilitate a conversation for a sponsorship with anybody as long as the price is right uh that's a tough question but <laughs> i mean it, it's got to be like that's if that's what i based my whole like motivation off of it's got to be that that like if you couldn't have me then you can't have me now type of deal like mm-hmm. i thought i was at my best when i wanted to be on your team and now it depends on if I'm if you think I'm better or if I'm think I'm better. It don't matter. It's just the fact that I wanted to be on the team and you wouldn't have me. And now it's like, sorry. It's like sorry <laughs> sucks to suck at that point. Ten million, uh, ten years is a little bit extreme on that. And I mean, I don't know if any players turning that one down. It might even make me throw Prodigy if I ask you. <laughs> oh, no. You've just lost an opportunity with Prodigy. No, okay. Here, here's <laughs> well, what I would say. Takes. Yeah, but here's what I would say. Um, you're a younger player. You're in your early 20s. Am I correct? Okay. Yeah, I just turned 21 last week. Okay, so early 20s, 21. And I've asked this to everybody on here. How does it inspire you, though, at this point in the game? Because, like, you're getting into it, it feels like, at the right time because other players have had to wait a long time to get anything, but you might be at the right place. Like what's your future? Like what's your hope of like, how do you feel about that? I guess. Like, do you feel like there's hope that you're going to make money sooner than later? Like actual salary. I, I absolutely am aware that time is on my side. I mean, there's a lot of people out there like yesterday in the final round, I was playing with Nico and the only thing he kept saying was I, I I'll take it. I think I'm the farthest throwing 32 year old in the world. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're throwing further than I am, but, that doesn't mean that I won't be thrown further than you when I'm 32. Like that's all I was yeah. thinking. But just the fact that knowing that I've still got a long way to go and somebody like Nico is still out there winning a disc golf pro tour. Like, I mean, I don't know how good I'll be in 11 years, but hopefully it's, I've already won a couple more than just a couple pro tours by then. But all in all, I mean, like, yeah, like I said, I know time is on my side and not everybody can be Paul Macbeth. And like, I can't just expect to win the world championships next year, but doesn't mean that I can't in the next five to 10. Mm-hmm. You're not yeah, wrong. I definitely think if you're going <laughs> to, if you're looking at this as a career opportunity, you're in a position right now, time wise, you've got the accessibility with the fan to honestly give it your all and to pursue that future. And then we just talked about it a little bit with Ricky, but Paul coming out with that big contract made it in a sense of where the younger generation, people slowly getting into the sport can actually look at this as a career opportunity now. Yep. Yeah, I know. Like I said, I never looked at it in this way until after I graduated high school and I started traveling to tournaments. And then when I started traveling, I kept making money and I was like, okay, like maybe, maybe, you know, it was like at that point, it was still just a chance or an opportunity Mm -hmm. where it was just like a couple more tournaments away from proving myself. And I felt like I definitely did that last year, if not before. Well, I think one big storyline, we didn't really get to mention it too much, but I will right now is that. You know, two weeks ago at Waco, you didn't cash. You yeah. took a you took a four on the last hole, which actually put you out of cash by one stroke. And then you come back firing. You played a different course. You played a different event. It's a Silver Series one, but you ended up shooting, getting tied for sixth place with I think one bogey on the last hole. Yeah, and so uh, unfortunately, I've been ridden with the um, can't clean up the last hole 
I don't know what's going on, but 18 at Waco, yeah. I three-putted. I had a putt for birdie on hole yep. 18 at the Beast, and then roll outside the circle, missed the comebacker. That's what made me miss cash. And yep. then the last two rounds at Belton, I missed two putts inside of 20 feet. Yesterday, it was my first bogey and my first miss inside the circle. And mm-hmm. with that one putt, I would have had solo sixth place and a little extra money in my pocket. But yeah. it's not too much to lean on and get mad about, but I definitely haven't forgotten about it. I definitely haven't forgotten about those putts at Waco yet either. Nope, I hear you. <laughs> All right, we've reached this point, Casey. You've given us a lot of great insights. The chat room is loving your comments and, and how you're taking this mindset of your game. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anyone you should shout out? We know Discmania, but like, who else Who else is supporting you that you can uh, return the favor to? Uh, definitely Birdie Disc Golf Supply, New World Disc Golf, and Disc Golf 978. That's shout out to a local a local shop here in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I su- supplying the world now. I think so. Awesome. Yeah, they're doing good. All Rise right, Casey. Up. We totally enjoyed having you on. Uh, we look forward to seeing you up there again, making some waves, and uh, we fully expect that. Thanks for coming on the show. See you awesome. soon, buddy. All right, bye. Peace. All right, everybody. That was Casey White. Um, Nick, local Massachusetts, local Massachusetts guy. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you, like, what what do you take away? What do you take away from uh, that interview? I mean, I feel like something to me was like, apparently, and I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but he doesn't like Prodigy. I <laughs> know. <laughs> I don't know. I actually, in all the years that I've known Casey, I don't know if I've ever seen him throw a Prodigy disc, really. So maybe years before I even knew him, he might have thrown a little bit. But for the most part, I don't think he ever did. Uh, I think one of my biggest takeaways about that interview was he knows that time right now is on his side. Uh, he's young. He's got the capability right now of actually being able to go out and tour and play disc golf. And so at a young age, he's able to fully pursue it. And he understands that. And he knows that, Hey, he's not getting any younger. Where does he see himself in 11 years? Kind of where Nico is at right now. So that, I think that's probably my biggest t- takeaway is that he seems to be pretty in the sense of, He's living out a dream that a lot of people are trying to live out and he's making it work. Yeah. I, and it, for us, it's a little bit unique too, because he's local to us. Like he was in our competition scene as an am and, yeah. and pretty quickly moved up the ranks. It's, it's cool for us. We have a different tie to it. Um, mm-hmm. We will see more of him. I'm sure out there. Um, but really, I want to say, as always, without further ado, we have a special guest lined up that I know there are people in our chat rooms um, excited to hear from. Uh, they clearly came in the chat and said, we're here for Heather Young. So welcome to the show, Heather. We're really excited to have you here. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm doing well. Awesome. Nice. Where, where are you located nice. right now? I am at an Airbnb in Tyler, Texas for Texas States. Okay. Tyler, Texas. And Texas, um, what are the, what's the biggest cultural thing or whatever that you notice between your home state and Texas? Anything stand out to you? Uh, I would say not necessarily 
like culture things, but it's really weird just the different climate and like how windy it is here. It's not windy in Tennessee and it's just always windy here. <laughs> yeah, shoot, that's how I felt two weeks ago at Waco was it the wind just never stopped. It was insane. The last round, even though it wasn't nearly as windy, there were still spots of where it was gusting up and being pretty windy. It's wild. <laughs> it made me not want to go back to Texas. So Let's let's get to it, Heather. Um, a few shows ago here on the Nick and Matt show, I was actually asking Nick, I said, where are all of these FPO players that we were so excited to see out on the, we haven't seen some of the players that we know can be there, be there at the top going into the last round. I mean, we've seen Kat and Paige. That's something we've seen forever. You last year really stepping up, making waves, um, Haley King, all, and we're waiting for the Europeans to come back over to create all this parody in the FPO. Well. You must have heard my request, and at the at the open here in Belton, you were playing incredible, um, averaging well above your um, player rating. You you averaged nine seventy five, which is twenty seven points. If I did my math correct, better than your player rating, um, and you had a thousand and six rated final round. Um, something that stood out to me is Katrina in her post round interview saying something along the lines of she was surprised at or or wasn't aware that how lefty friendly is how she put it the course played um do you feel like the course played to your strengths as a lefty um or do you just think in general your performance was at a high level you're just going to take it forward to every every course i was a little surprised when i heard her say that I honestly didn't feel like the course favors a lefty or a righty that much I feel like the holes are pretty equal I mean for the most part Belton is just an open course so it's just called throw it down the middle and not OB and you'll be fine um but I feel like it really gave me an opportunity to throw backhand and sidearm which I enjoy any course that has both I feel like if it's only one or the other it's not really that balanced well, yeah, I was going to say, kind of watching the final round FPO coverage, I did notice you throw, you leaned on the backhand and the forehand a pretty substantial amount, and you have a very smooth backhand, obviously, and you have a very smooth forehand. Uh, one of the biggest things that you're known for, though, is your putting. And I can remember the Disc Golf Network doing their little putting invitational, you know, a couple months back. You're putting from 35, 40 feet, 45 feet. It just seems like it was dead center every single time. In the final round, you were obviously clutching up and hitting some big putts. Do you have any kind of like thoughts, you know, what was going through your mind on the final hole of you had a big putt to potentially tie it, go into a playoff and everything like that? Were the nerves different, obviously being the last putt? Or did it just feel like, hey, this is just something that I do all the time? I feel like it was just like something I do all the time, but it was also different on that because... I was like just inside circle two. I was like maybe 60 feet, mm -hmm. which that's really outside of what I can feel like I'm, I'm expecting to make. So it was sort of a little more of just try to give it a chance. Like if I was 50 feet, I think the nerves would have been a lot higher because I know I can make that putt. Mm -hmm. But being so far back, I feel like it actually gave me a chance to just be like, just give it your best round. Because can do anyway but still it was a different sense i guess from being there oh absolutely yeah i because i i found myself thinking like how oh, and and 
how does that make you feel to know people are are thinking about oh she's a good putter like she could put this in how does that make you feel it's pretty exciting and it's fun being out on the course and knowing that some people might be thinking that too because it's I don't know. It gives me something I can stand out in an FP if I'm cutting really well, like I know I can. Yeah, for sure. So, so going into a tournament and we're just getting to know you, I mean, you're new to the scene. I mean, obviously you played out all last year and you played some of the year before that, but really in the scene this year, um, what is your mindset? Let, let the fans know, let your fans know, let our, our followers know what's your mindset when you're going into a tournament. Are you envisioning, hey, I'm going out there to win that, like we hear some competitors talk about? Or is your mindset more along the lines of, I'm just going to play my best and see how how the disc flies today? Like, what's your mindset? I would honestly say that before Belton, my mindset has been much more of going to this tournament, do the best I can, and see what happens. But I feel like, the final round of Belton and then now it proved to me that I can be at the very top and actually be competing for the win. Like I've been close before, but never actually in the situation of, okay, I could win this. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's changed how I'm going to look at tournaments in the future. Interesting. Interesting. I think one thing that the disc golf world knows about you is obviously you love the color purple and it's been awesome for your brand in and of itself. It's been awesome because Prodigy's done some very funny commercials with it. What is something that the disc golf world doesn't know about you? Hmm. Is there something else? Yeah. Is there something else that you like to do? Like we see purple, but like, do you like to ride bikes? Do you like to ice skate? Do you like to eat? Do you like to fish? Like, what's something else we don't know about you? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. I mean, I like doing anything outdoors. I know what it is. My sister, one of my sisters and I got to go caving not long ago with friends. That was really exciting. That's something I'm hoping to do more of. That's cool. And especially traveling around the country playing disc golf, you'll definitely have the opportunities to be able to do that. So that's definitely a cool thing to like. <laughs> have you, okay, just side sidestepping really quick while we have Heather here. Nick, have you ever done caving, like spelunking, like going down a little hole? No, I've done Purgatory Chasm in Massachusetts yeah. <laughs> where you walk through the caves a little bit, but there's never been anything absolutely intense. So. I've, I've once, and this is another story for another time, went down a small hole and just like had to breathe slowly and just be like, you're not going to die, but you think you're going to die. So like, anyways, that's awesome. Is that the type of caving you're talking about, Heather? Yeah, it was like... You need to be careful where you're going or you might get stuck. <laughs> oh, that is so good. good. Um, so let me ask this. What part of your game as a competitor, a disc golf professional, what part of your game are you focusing on right now at this time of your history of the sport as a player? What is it? Is it a forehand, backhand, putting, mental game, uh, run up? Like for you, what is something you're working on um, the most right now? Right now, I would probably say my putting. Earlier in the year, it really wasn't feeling good. I just felt like it was my putters weren't coming out clean. I was just 
not feeling confident, but I've been putting in a lot of work in the past couple weeks, and I feel like, I mean, I saw it pay off some this weekend, and I'm feeling good and confident now, so I just want to keep growing that. Awesome. What kind of personal goals do you have yourself this year? You kind of just talked about really quick on your mindset into tournaments just changed for you being close to being in that position of, Hey, I can actually win this tournament. Does that actually change any of the goals that you previously had? I would say my goals going into this year from like the very beginning of this year have been, I know I'm capable of being in the top five at every event. So that's my goal going into any, but winning wasn't necessarily like it was a goal, but it wasn't necessarily an expectation. I feel like this weekend changed it to where that's actually a goal for this year is to win one of the major events. Nice. Or that's more awesome. than one, but at yeah. least one. Yeah, but at least one. <laughs> Definitely get that first one under the belt. That'd be awesome. I love that. With And anybody who's playing professional disc golf is a competitor. That's probably why they're in it. There's probably no other reason. I love the competitor's mindset. She's like one, no, actually more than one, as many as I can get. So we, we appreciate that um, from you, Heather, before we let you go, we'd love to give you an opportunity to shout out those who are supporting you and maybe let our fans and your fans know how they can support you. So any sponsors or how they could follow you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I want to thank my sponsors, Prodigy Disc and flight discs i'm so grateful for all you're doing to help me on the tour and then watching for a prodigy signature series disc that could be coming out soon and also flight factory discs has purple hoodies and long sleeves available right now Purple. awesome so people go check that out go help out and support heather young on her tour and her efforts uh, to play professional disc golf. Obviously, we saw this last weekend that you are able to compete at that top level. And so we look forward to having you on the show again. And we more so look forward to seeing you on more live coverage. Thank you. Yeah, appreciated having you on the show. Have a great evening and good luck for your future tournaments here. Um, Heather, have a great evening. Thanks, you too. All right, bye. Have a great night. Bye. All right, everybody, if you couldn't tell, uh, that was Heather Young. Um, what a cool person. Um, but remind me to in our check boxes that we're following for the award of the year for, you know, best internet connection. She, she's going to go. She's going to go down that list, maybe just above <laughs> Nick Carl's internet connection from last week. But <laughs> from, yeah, from previous weeks, it has not been great, but that's all right. Uh, I was able to understand what she was saying, so I'm sure we'll be able to clean it up all the audio and everything like that. But super fun interview to have on um, Heather. I've actually. I met her, I think, last year at the Great Lakes Open, and obviously I've seen her throughout different events. She's always kind, always has a smile on her face, and, you know, she is a filthy good putter. So that it's it's actually insane watching it sometimes. Yeah, cool interview. Um, so that, man, Nick, that was action, I say action-packed. That was action-packed interviews, one after another after another. I want to kind of decompress a little bit on that. Um, is Ricky... We asked him, like, are we going to see the same parody that we've seen at the beginning of the year? Because realistically, think about it. There's not been a duplicate winner yet. I'm not wrong, right? I'm not I'm, I'm not wrong. 
No, you're not. I don't think you are. And even the top it's wild. Yeah, but even the top three podium, I feel mm-hmm. like has been pretty different. It's been different. Yeah, it definitely has. I'm trying to think. Eagle took it down, then he gets like 47th. And then you have Ezra yeah. almost taking it down. Now he's um shooting less than 20 place or yes miss cash at the open yeah open up Um, miss cash there something we'll talk about in just a little bit ricky started out i think it was like fifth and 11th and then um first here and then paul went like i'm just thinking out loud of the tour season then paul went like 11th fifth and then first Mm -hmm. at memorial and then second here um so it is just the parody has been this year i feel like way different than any other year we've had yeah is it going to continue like that? Like the parody? What what's going to happen at Texas States? Oh, I don't know. It's that's such a tough question to answer because honestly, I don't know. I'd have to watch coverage of the tournament event because obviously, I base my picks off of how I think a player can play in certain conditions um, when it comes to the course and everything like that. And honestly, I don't I don't know if I've ever watched coverage of this course. So I I honestly have no predictions in the sense of be ready to see Ricky and Paul at the top again. Obviously, they both just came off a stellar weekend. Um, Paul's obviously going to be hungry for that first big win. And obviously, there hasn't been a national tour since 2020. So, and like, I don't even know if they're ever a fit. No, there was Vegas of last year, I think, was a national tour. But other than that, the players haven't played one in over a year. So, be on the lookout for a lot of players really hungry to get that national tour win. Speaking of Texas State, um, there's a topic here that... I'm a little bit interested in your perspective. I've got a take on it. And I think that national tour events, you can mark it down, people. And I say mark it down. I have no inside scoop on this. But we've been watching this for years. And with COVID, the way it happened, and then pulling out, um, and then the pro tour coming in this year and saying, hey, we're going to offer you all of the media package. We're going to do coverage for you the same way we do it for the Pro Tour, live events, coverage, the whole nine yards. They're managing the COVID policies. It's my opinion that we are going to see the national tour be absorbed, if you will, into the Disc Golf Pro Tour. And I don't want to say next year, although that that might be a hot take, but Mm -hmm. I would say within the next three years, that's my take that we will see the national tour go away. Do you have any perspective on that, Nick? I honestly, like, I think it makes sense. I think the PDGA should focus on different things rather than trying to run a national tour. I think there's different areas that the PDGA can really focus on. I think one of them is more so bigger amateur events. Um, I feel like, you know, growth of disc golf outside of tournaments itself. I think what the disc golf pro tour is doing right now, what they are doing is incredible And I think they're setting up a schedule that is beneficial to anyone trying to tour. So honestly, I think the disc golf pro tour should be the main factor of, you know, this is the player's tour. This is what everyone goes out and you have the silver series events of tournaments that want to be on the pro tour Um, majors though. I mean, I know we're talking national tours right now. I think that's where, you know, if pro tours want to not take over majors, but I think if pro tours want to help run majors, I think that would also be huge. But yeah, honestly, what you just said, because you got to look at it as in, you know, you had Waco, which was a pro tour, the open at Beltland, which was a silver series. And now you have a national tour in Texas. Why not just make it pro tour, pro tour, pro tour, or pro tour, and then a silver series again, and then another pro tour. Like Ricky said earlier, up in, um, 
up in Oregon, there's going to be Beaver State Fling, which I think in years past has been a national tour event. You have the Portland Open, and then you got Beaver State Fling. Make them both pro tour events, and then it all schedules under one specific tour. Players are playing for points on one tour rather than two different tours. Stuff like that. Yeah, so um, I'll come back to this interview, or not this interview, you're in my topic here one day, and I'll say, yeah, (laughs) I was wrong or I was right, but I kind of feel like I'm right there. Um, So mark it down, people. Um, We'd be interested in your opinions. Do you think it would be healthy for the sport? Do you think the PDGA should step aside and let the entity of the Disc Golf Pro Tour handle uh, the touring efforts and just combine it all, all the efforts towards one tour I'm not saying there shouldn't be multiple tours. I guess I'm more saying the PDGA mm-hmm. being a part of that. They should be the support entity. Um, so exactly. That's kind of my take there. Um, so you kind of just mentioned it a second ago, Nick. Let's kind of talk about it a little bit more. Is a silver series event. Um, we saw those. I think you would think I would know this off the top of my head. I feel like this is the first year where they're actually being called silver series. They they were or they, it might have been the end of last year. It was a newer introduced yeah. thing. I think I think they were last year as well. I, I remember Maine ran a uh, Silver Series event last year, so I'm, I'm pretty sure they were called Silver Series. Okay, they were there was less, right? There was less Silver Series. Yes. Yeah. There was less of them. So there's a lot yeah. more now. I think there's almost as many as there are actual Pro Tour events. I think there's just about ten, and then there's Pro Tour events or maybe twelve mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but so what is a Silver Series, and what did we see, you know, at the Open at Belton? I'm going to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What did we see there? What is that? It's is it's an A tier. It's not an Elite Series, as the PDGA mm-hmm. would call it. It's an A tier that was on steroids because it was Disc Golf Pro Tour related. You saw all the top players, I, I want to yeah. say, in the world there, um, and you had live coverage. Like, why did players go there? Was it because the DGPT stamp was on it? Well, I think one of the main reasons why a lot of players went to it is because I'm pretty sure it was only a 45-minute drive south of Waco, uh, maybe an hour, hour and 15 at most. Um, So I think convenience-wise, they were already in the area. Why fly out, miss an event, and then just fly back into Texas for a national tour event? Because obviously a lot of the big-time players are playing both of those um, so I think convenience wise, that's why a lot of players went to it. And then I think because it's so early on in the season, players do want to get those couple of wins out of the way, maybe get their confidence built up. And then I know one reason why a lot of players are playing a lot of events this year is, you know, there is still that mindset of, is this season going to be a full season? Obviously last season wasn't. And a lot of players are trying to get in as many tournaments as they can this year because, who knows if it's going to be a full season. So I think that's one main reason why a lot of players are playing these silver series events. Uh, when I, I say players, I mean like top caliber players. Um, Cause last year there were a few like, you know, main state championships. I don't think Ricky or Paul or Eagle even went to those. I think Simon, Kevin Jones, Garrett Gurthy, a couple of players like that went to them, but your top five players normally did not. Yeah. And I kind of, I'm glad Ricky came on and said what he said about the course. He thinks it's uh DGP, like he thinks yeah. it's the level, he, he thinks the course is good enough. Mm-hmm. He, the par is soft. So that was yeah. an interesting perspective. Did that shake, did that shake your opinion at all? Well, so yeah, uh, it definitely shook my opinion in the sense of from an outside view, 
And obviously looking at the scorecards and everything like that, you look at it and you say, wow, this course is way too easy. These players are shredding it. What is going on? Um, I think Ricky saying, hey, this is a top caliber course. The pars are obviously wrong on a couple of the holes, which that's simple enough. And then he said hole 13 needs to just be wiped completely. Uh, it kills the flow of the course. It's just not a well-made hole. So I think with a few changes that those uh, the people running that event, the volunteers helping out at that event, I think with a few small changes, maybe, yeah, maybe it is a top caliber course. Maybe tighten up the OB in certain areas. I mean, that obviously tightening up the OB isn't the answer to everything, but I do think that that will potentially that'll make a course harder, obviously. If they so, if they got rid of yeah. the par five and made it a par, they made it a little bit harder and called it a par th- uh, four, or they made it a little bit easier and called it a par three. The par five, the one that two albatrosses were on, yeah, um, yep. like fifty eagles or something like, yeah, yeah. So, well, I was talking to Paul about that, and because I'd asked him, I was watching coverage. I'd seen that Yuli had albatrossed it. I had, you know, seen a ton of people burning it, a ton of people eagling it, obviously. And it obviously, I looked at it. It was a three hundred ninety-nine foot par five, and I was like, all right, something's clearly wrong. And uh, I asked Paul about it and he said, he's like, look, cut down a couple trees and you have a, a hard par three, which, you know, I'd, I'd honestly, I'd rather see that than what looks like a poke and hope hole that players, you know, like Yuli, you know, nothing against Yuli getting an albatross on it. You know, that's an incredible shot, but Heiser flipping what looks like a mantis, just, you know, getting it perfectly throughout the trees, landing 40, 45 feet, made a great putt. Um, but at the same time, he made an incredible shot on kind of a lucky hole. And, you know, he only gained a stroke on some people like that's that's what's wild to me. So, yeah. But to your to the point I made and you agreed with is either make it easier to. And I guess this was Paul's point mm-hmm. as well. Take a few trees down and make it a par three. Yeah. Or um, make it just maybe a little bit tougher and call it a par four. So actually like make the whole little tougher and call it a par four. I feel like though, if we can get it to a par three and then uh, realistically, you're not going to make par threes out there, par twos. So either they're going to have to make the hole a little bit tougher. Um, Mm -hmm. I think someone shooting 16 down, or we've seen Paul do 18 down all these things. It does. It's a testament, obviously to their athletics and their skills to be able to do that. There's no way around saying that. I mean, it's a course record. People aren't doing this every day. Yeah. But, and this would be a whole nother conversation on par, but for the optics of disc golf, and this was not a major elite series or major or elite series, but for the optics of disc golf, I don't know if that's the game that we're playing where it's like, Hey, shoot 18 under 16 under 15 under. Like I I'm willing to argue it both ways, but that's what a silver series was. Um, I think they're going to make some cleanup adjustments and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. It was a test. That's what silver series is a test. They're test event events to yes. see and to exactly. make sure. And now guess what? They take away, they gleaned whatever they did, par this, that, yep. whatever it was. And next year, if they decide to make it exactly. an event, expect it to be better, if you will. Yeah. So however the grading system works for the disc golf pro tour, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I, you know, if I could say, look, Jeff goes to that event and says, Hey, if you guys clean up these five things, you know, we'll definitely look into making this a disc golf pro tour event next year. And I think, you know, if Waco stays on as an event, then you got the open at Bellin and then potentially Texas States going back to back to back again, like this year, 
touring wise. It just makes a lot of sense. So look, one of the top professionals in our sport said it is a high caliber course, make it a little bit harder, change some of the pars and you have a phenomenal course. And from watching the coverage, it did look like a fun course. I did see a lot of cool holes. I like that par three that was in between all those trees. It was like a nice forehand 400 somewhat feet. It was a, just a, a nice looking hole. So, well, I feel like we'd be remiss to miss this opportunity to do our Brody tracker like we have been doing. Um, unfortunately for Brody, it went in the wrong direction. Um, yeah. We've been pleasantly, and I'll use the word surprised. I think surprise and not the strong word. Like, I don't mean it in the like, we had no idea it could happen, but surprised pleasantly that he came out this year performing in, like almost top 20 finishes. Um, yep. like he's just really doing well out there, um, to go into the open here at Belton and shooting, was it 70th? I think Nick, uh, yeah, I can look at that. I don't and remember exactly what it was while you was look at my notable player. It is 70th. Yeah. Yep. Go for it. Okay. It, it is, is 70th. 70th. Okay. I just pulled it up and yep. what's interesting is he still shot. I say still. It's going to sound funny compared to 43 under, but he still shot nine under par over three rounds. No, that probably feels pretty gross when everybody else is coming in saying I shot eight down, nine down, 10. Down. I say everybody. Yeah. That's 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 obviously hyperbole there. I don't mean everybody, but still shooting under par. I did not look up his average rating there. Um, well, that's what I'm looking at right now. He went thousand nine seventy seven nine eighty two. So you got to think he's probably averaging around the nine. 85-ish range, just about. I mean, okay. obviously that's you know if it's 985, it's 17 points below his rating. He's a thousand two rated player, so I mean, obviously, I without a doubt could say that he's hella disappointed with it. And I know one of the biggest reasons is if you actually look at his first round, he played on a great card. He played with Ricky, um, someone else that was top level, and then um, I didn't I don't remember the last name, but Brody started out five through five. He was actually murdering it. He was five down through five holes. And so it was like, okay, this, you know, is this Brody's time to shine? And then it just slowly kind of like he started five for five throughout the tournament. He ended only nine down. So obviously disappointment in and of itself is that to where you could technically say, look, he parred everything else and then got four birdies. I know that's obviously not the mm. case, but, you know, that's... I I didn't look up here, and you think I would have. I just pulled it up right now. Three OB throws in the final round. Um, I do not know his other rounds, but I have a feeling OB probably played a portion of this. He's yep. He throws, and I'll use the word surprising again, um, be, probably because of him being so new to the sport, it's surprising because it's not something we're used to. Now, obviously, he's thrown Frisbees, and he's done disc sports, and he's an athlete. Um, at some level, okay? And I, I mean that because I haven't observed all of his athleticism, but he's demonstrating that he's athletic and he was able to throw, he's able to throw over 500 feet. And yeah. that is something that shaves strokes right there. So I'm wondering kind of what the exact details were there. But as far as the Brody track are concerned, pretty good average. This is going to, this is going to ding it a, a fair amount, but yeah. His, if his average is going to hold true, I feel like he's going to come back up a little bit. Yeah, I think, honestly, you know, we talked about ratings and the consistency earlier. Like, consistently, he had a bad weekend of this one. 
Memorial, though, he played well. Waco, he played well. He averaged above his rating. He consistently averaged above his rating. So I think this weekend obviously will hurt that a little bit. But obviously he's playing a couple more events before the next ratings update. So I don't think we'll see his rating go down. If anything, I think we'll see it go back up another couple of points. So that's just the funness of the rating system. (laughs) But, you know, in the past, we've heard Brody say, look, once he gets a thousand rated, he doesn't care anymore about the ratings. So I'm sure at this point... You know, he doesn't care about that. He cares about going out and showing the best, you know, that he can be on the course. Does he care about going under a thousand with his rating? I don't know. Because, you know, he did might say, say like, once I hit a thousand, I, I don't care anymore. So I'm, I'm curious yeah, if he but if you know, you somehow magically it. was. The, yeah, yeah, but exactly. if you can't keep a thousand, yeah. I, like I tapped a thousand with ratings. I, would, I yeah. not player rating, <laughs> but yeah, I've yeah. tapped thousands. And it's like if I think there's something yeah. to be said about maintaining that. Um, yeah, uh, I think for the most part, the tournament that he's, yeah, the tournament that he's played the last few weeks being Memorial and, uh, Waco, I, it won't go below a thousand. No, I, I'm just saying, I was just, yeah, yeah. it, it yeah, probably yeah. won't go below a thousand. Um, <laughs> no, I, but I just went out and shot around uh, at Maple Hill league. Mm-hmm. Nick, give me inside scoop. We're just catching up here. Our, our, you know, our listeners and our viewers are like, dude, you can do this phone call off the show. But like, do you feel like league tournaments and actually this, this actually kind of ties to Brody. Um, league rated the, yeah, because he did a league rated round the beginning. And I think there was yep. a little bit, I don't want to say controversy, but there was a little bit of like, oh, well, that's not really how like ratings work. What do you think yep. about league ratings? Because I shot par on maple hill whites you know whites i shot straight 56 i'm not super happy with that any idea what you think that would be rated just straight par just off the top of your head well i think i'm kind of cheating because i did see i actually went through and looked at the ratings (laughs) but i think if i had to look at it 48 was 10 14 all right well then you then you know but that's my point though i feel like a 48 949 i was gonna say 948 well no i was gonna say um a, th- a 48 being a thousand fourteen, I yeah. feel like it should be a little higher than that. That's just my opinion. A 48 is pretty good. I f- anyways, it depends on the field. Yeah. I was, I'll just get to the point. I was not happy. I got like a nine thirty one or something shooting par oh, okay. on whites. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they advertise whites as being par at like a nine fifty well, or something. I think, you know, when I look at the whites course, one of the biggest things is, you know, there's OB here and there being the water but a lot of the holes you're really not dealing with any specific danger so to be honest i I think the ratings actually played pretty well um in the sense that i'd rather see a course like that i'd rather see even par rated at 950 so obviously it was a little bit off um but for the most part I don't have a if thousand. You, I don't have a thousand person. I, I don't have a thousand player rating. It matters to me still. You know, it matters yeah. to me still. <laughs> I don't know exactly. I mean, that's like I, I was actually I was talking to my buddy Kyle about it, and I was saying like I'm pretty sure the last time Kyle and I went out and played whites, we shot like 44s or 45. So I was like, oh, it'd be nice to do during Ooh. a league round because I mean, we're like 1040 rated. Oh, you feel like it? <laughs> you feel like so league rounds are fluctuating. You feel like league rounds might inflate a rating. No. Okay. No, 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 no. Because you have so many different propagators of like. Yeah. Uh, with maple, it, it all depends on the course. That's the biggest thing. Right. Is that that's why <laughs> I don't like player ratings. I'd rather course be rated. But that's another topic. You had, you had two <laughs> amateur one players shooting a forty-eight and a fifty, and they beat all the pros. 
And so yes. that kind of cripples pros ratings <laughs> because the pros were rated higher. And when they, you know, shot average or maybe below average, but then a couple amateur people went out and shot lights out like that, that kills the pros ratings. That's I, why I like I played if, I, if, I, if I'm going to go play a league round, I'm going to go make sure that I can murder that course. But like this is one of the biggest things at the beginning of the year when Paul lost being the highest rated player in the world. Um, that turned from Paul playing a league round out in Huntington beach where he won the league round, but only averaged like 1030 at it, you know? And so that's where it's like that. I, I don't know. Anyways, which I think the whole, I think the whole night we were calling Ricky the highest rated player in the world, but isn't Eagle. Oh my goodness. Now that I think about it, how was that? Eagle, like, how was that the biggest? So that was yeah. the biggest we, glitch yeah, of my my show. I like up. literally brain freeze. But you know, you know what's interesting? Yeah. Everyone's gonna call us out on this later. Yeah. But they, no one in the well, chat. Please pay attention. Pay, pay attention to the end of the show. I just realized. Yeah, Eagle. <laughs> the only reason I said Ricky was the highest rated is because I was listening to Matt. Eagle is the highest rated at ten fifty six. So uh, There's, yeah, that's one of our biggest ahead. blunders. Like, oh my god, that's one of our biggest blunders. That's so funny. No, but. Yeah. To go back on it, Ricky was yeah. for a portion, right? He was tied for a portion, yeah. right That's before Eagle when took When I started it. talking about Paul's rated round and why he dropped, yeah, he was at 1054. He was at one point the highest rated player in the world. And then after Vegas, uh, when February's Man. tournament, or excuse me, February or, Mar- or March's, when the player ratings <laughs> came out in March. <laughs> Boo on Nick and Matt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone's hey, going to roast we just wanted, no, We just wanted to pump up our guest. I saw that in the chat. Someone said, oh, Matt is such a Ricky fanboy. And I'm like, really? Okay, yeah. so we corrected that. We'll have to go back and edit. It'll be funny, Nick. It'll be like, welcoming the <laughs> player of the world. <laughs> we'll just edit out, yeah. like, highest. Um, all right, so let me ask this question. I think it's a fair topic. Um, it's kind of just like plucked out of a hat, if you will, but is Kevin Jones, Disc Golf Pro Tour champion of 2020, uh, coming into 2021, am I wrong to say, unless you are actively scanning all of the stats of how a tournament played out, you have not heard the name Kevin Jones, like, in a tournament. Am I wrong? Well, I mean, technically speaking, did he play it? the open because I, I i didn't hear his name at all so now it, it's got me curious did he even play i'm pretty there? sure and he went 14th place you didn't even 14th know place. okay <laughs> yeah see i, I didn't so um, i'm bringing this topic up because what is going on now we could bring him on the show or i say like we can just drag him on we could invite yeah, him on the show to talk about it okay. um as I'm sure he's probably has his own insights. Um, is <laughs> this is going to sound offensive? Is he trying his hardest? And I bring that up because you win the Pro Tour champion, you kind of get on this bubble, and you think, I'm pretty good at disc golf. You go into this year, he's a professional athlete. Um, I'm not saying he doesn't need the money, and I don't know what his contract with Prodigy looks like. But he did have a significant winnings and he's probably just enjoying that. Maybe I'm a hundred percent wrong. He's an athlete. I actually pick him as probably my most athletic, just about most athletic player. I can't say top, top five, most athletic. Um, He knows how to compete. Any idea, Nick, what is your take? Why is he just not like we haven't heard from him? And are we going to, I don't know. 
I, I was just briefly looking at his stats at Bell, and, and uh, every round he progressively got better. He shot 57, 54, 53. So obviously I think he's getting into the groove of things again. I have no idea how his offseason looked. I have no idea what his you know middle of the season is looking like or anything like during the season. I don't know his routine, but um, I, I can't imagine we'll see him you know, lower than we're normally used to too much longer. I think, you know, within the next few tournaments, we'll see his name pop back up into the top five, top seven, top 10. But right now, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I don't really know Kevin too, too well. So I can't give you a full on reason as to why I think he's not playing well. I think just it's a singular sport. You're playing you against the course. And at times, you know, you hit a rough patch. I, I can speak personally on that to where, you know, in Vegas, I played well. I averaged above my rating. And then I went to Waco and I shot very poorly. I played below my rating. And then I just played a B tier on Saturday. I played well. I shut up on my rating again. So I think week in and week out, you're playing a sport mentally. He could be exhausted. Mentally, he could be dealing with some stuff outside of disc golf. But like I said, he's an incredible player. Obviously, disc golf pro tour champion multiple disc golf pro tour winner. Um, like I said, I can't imagine he'll be where we don't see his name too much longer. I appreciate your insights. I also appreciate our chat room. They said they were calling us out the whole time on highest rated player. I missed it. We're trying to do better at focusing on yeah. our interviews. And then I just yeah. want to say Brody Brody's uh, in the chat and he, he makes a point that I think is worth discussing. He says, the the term or the idea most athletic is a weird thing and he says people love to talk about it where i'm coming from as a disc golf viewer and if you want to say analyst or sports talk on this where, where i'm coming from on most athletic is i know his background okay high level football i say high level obviously not making it into nfl um, but the idea is his dad coached just athletic in the term of He's a guy who can pick up a basketball and not regularly practice basketball and compete with you hard. Um, golf. He, I've seen videos of him playing fairly. Now, Brody, I'm talking about Brody. Brody plays golf at fairly high level. That'd be a fun challenge to see him and all these people go. That would be really yeah. cool. We should do like a ball and yeah. chain um, tournament. But I guess that's what I mean when I say most athletic. Um doesn't necessarily translate to disc golf, but the ability to balance well your motions. Uh, that's why Paul can throw farther than me because he's more athletic. He and Nick break it down. When Paul is reviewing some of your form, I've seen it before. Cause I've been hanging out with you guys. He's saying, Nick, mm -hmm. you need to change your arm from this type of emotion to this type of, or whatever. Like I'm just trying to yeah, demonstrate yeah, yeah. he's going yeah. through and he's saying like, this is a athletic motion. The point mm -hmm. is when you're athletic, you understand how your body works better and how to get yeah. the most efficiency out of it. That's what I mean when I say most athletic, um, you still have to have a mental game, but that's my take on yeah. what I, I mean. think when we talk about, you know, like you just said, when we talk about most athletic in our sport, obviously there are players who are multiple sport athletes. You have Brody, you have Paul, you have Ricky, Kevin. I know Nate Perkins is actually a very athletic dude. Um, you have all these different players, but I think when we talk about athletic in the sport of disc golf, like you were just saying, like they look athletic when they're playing, they have athletic form. Like Kevin, you know, 
slips every so often. And I think one of the reasons for that is slippery surfaces. I know the slip that he had at uh, Maple Hills because the wood, he stepped on the wood. Um, but for the most part, Kevin has a very athletic form. He's got a great sidearm, great backhand. He's got a very powerful putt. So we talk about his athleticism in that sense to where, you know, he looks at athletic when he's playing disc golf. Yeah, I see the chat saying, oh, he's only played two two events. Maybe we shouldn't make assumptions on that. My question then, and maybe this is presumptuous, but why is such a, why why not play more events? Um, and I, I could say the same thing maybe towards Eagle too, and I've had that same question. I think it's a fair question. Like, do you have to pack your schedule to play 52 events a year or more? Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that. I just yeah. feel like... Well- yeah, yeah. Go technically it's the third. Technically it's the third event, which I think a lot of players are right now on their yeah. third event. We just haven't heard Kevin you know? Jones. We have not heard his name yeah. at all. Now, exactly. It, it's not the worst thing in the world not hearing his name right now. That's not saying that he's never going to come back up into right. the top five. Right. But it's a conversation. For someone, yeah. For someone to come off of a strong 2020 season, where he won Deglo, he won the Pro Tour Championships, to so far not really be making a big name for himself. How about Chris Dickerson? Do you feel at all similar about that name? And again, we're not making hot takes here. I'm just saying that what I'm experiencing coming out of last year was Chris Dickerson. Oh my goodness. Player of the year. Like Chris Dickerson, Chris Dickerson, Mm -hmm. Kevin Jones, Mm -hmm. disc golf pro tour, like just hearing this on repeat. um, I think even names, and maybe this was too big of a, a a feeling here, but Kyle Klein, I mean, he was making waves like towards the end of the year. And we can still yeah. see all of that. I'm not yeah. saying we're not going to. I'm just saying coming out of last year and into this year, that's kind of how I'm feeling um, with, yeah, with those names. With the Dickerson one, you know, the Dickerson case, I think, is always a different one in the sense of he doesn't travel a lot to the West Coast. So early on in the season and even midway through the season, you're not going to see his name a lot because he just doesn't do the West Coast swing. But if you look at his stats right now, he's already got three wins two C tiers and a B tier, which this one actually might be B tier as well. Um, it says pro-am C slash B tier. So potentially three B tier wins or two B tier wins in a C tier seventh at Waco. And then, uh, got fourth at, I don't know what an L series event is, but he's not having a terrible year. Obviously he just got sixth place tied for sixth place at Belton. I was but, just going to um, say, and so yeah. I want to clarify for the sake of conversation, I'm not saying that they're finishing outside of where they should. Okay. Kevin Jones, 14th. That's not horrible. Yeah. Chris Dickerson. Well, Kevin Jones, 56th at Waco. <laughs> that's, you know, that's yeah. not what we're used to seeing with Kevin Jones. That's more so I think where our conversation is going. To be fair, it's Eagle, like, hey, Eagle was in the on? same boat. And we'll actually get yeah. this one right. Highest rated disc golfer in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, but... But and Chris Dickerson getting sixth at this recent event, that's actually re- we have to be clear like that's good performance. Yes. I guess to clarify my point is why are we not hearing about these players? Are they playing quote unquote boring golf to where there's no storyline? Is that what's happening here? And now there's just so much more parody with a Nico up there with uh, younger players making the top playing out of their minds. It, like, this is different than what we're used to. That's my takeaway. Yeah. And I brought those names yeah. up as a point of we haven't heard them called out mm-hmm. recently. Are we going to? I expect it. I do I'd expect more it. More than likely. 
Yeah. But is it just taking too long? It's taking ramp up. They'll be halfway through the season. Or are we going to see it here at Texas States? I don't know. <laughs> There's too much going on to make that, that, that call. No, I hear you. Um, finally, just to touch up a little bit on what we talked to with Rick and uh, we brought up Paul and their social media posts. I thought, I don't want to say first time, but going into the quote unquote battle between the two, I felt like there was a little bit of this like friendly rivalry. Like it was there, but they were being super classy professional. And it was like, here we go. Like we're looking forward to it and like tagging each other kind of a thing. And like, this is, this is awesome. And then it happened. And then Paul again, classy said, you know, congrats to Saki bomb. And he said another chapter. And I thought it was unique. I don't know who read whose post first. I think it was Ricky probably read Paul's, but they both wrote the idea. It's the next chapter in this competition. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I wanted to take away though, was something that Paul said was like, like bring back the, like bring back the fans, bring back the spectators. What do you think? What do you think the purpose of writing that after the event was like, what do you think Paul's thinking there when he says, bring it back just for, it's not tied to the way the tournament played out. And you think he just strictly wants uh, spectators back or do you think it was tied to his performance? No, I think in the sense of, you know, a lot of the top pros want the spectators back because those are moments that, you know, they live for in the sense of they're playing in front of a crowd. They're playing for the win in front of a crowd. And you can hear the, you know, the oohs and the ahs going around. And for a lot of people, they kind of feed off that. It makes it more of an intense moment and it kind of makes them, I would say, fired up. And professional athletes have said it, you know, professional disc golfers have said it that 2020 playing in front of no one it is like the most boring thing. Cause you're going to, you know, like I remember last year at GMC where you have players making incredible shots and no one's clapping because there's no one there besides for, you know, the support person that people are allowed to have or, you know, people who are still on the course or something like that. So it, it's more so because it's awkward. I think personally, I think a lot of pl- players are in the boat of where, It's just kind of awkward right now, not having fans. And a lot of times, like those are the people, you know, who help support pros are the fans. And, you know, a lot of pros love signing discs. A lot of pros love taking pictures with their fans. They love having those 30 seconds of kind of like that moment of player and fan. So I think that's one big reason. I know Paul loves the energy that a crowd can bring. I mean, you can look at some of Paul's biggest wins in his past. They've been in front of massive crowds, the European opens the 2014 worlds in the Portland, Oregon. I mean, imagine that playoff going down in 2014 with no one cheering after Paul just hit another 35 footer or no one yelling, you know, Oh my God, when Ricky hit the tree in the playoff that where Paul won that hole, like it's more, I'm not going to say it's boring because it doesn't take away the accolade of winning a top-notch event, but it's definitely more boring, I would say. Oh, as a competitor, I can imagine that's what you, I don't want to say live for, but we've interviewed Paul before way back last year, um, yeah. and I asked him, 
I've asked him at some point, I don't remember what show it was on. Like, would you like to find yourself playing for thousands of people, like thousands of people, or just like smaller groups keep the sport more or less how it is? And I know that sounds like a stupid question. I think it was worded better in the time at the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. But the point was, he's like, no, like the, I kind of live for the moments of having all the people there and the pressure. It's just the big, big, big moments. Yeah. Um, I think in the few times that I've ever had a crowd watching my disc golf round, um, it's fun. Like, I like that. I like that excitement of, you know, you hit a big putt, a 35, 40, 45 footer, and a ton of people are cheering for you. Like, that's just a great moment. And that's a fun thing. Like, I remember two years ago, I played on a card with Reed Frascara, Seppo Paiu, and Jordan Castro over at MVP. And for the first three or four holes, like, we actually had a pretty big crowd following us. And I remember I parked hole three at Maple Golds. And, you know, the crowd went wild. It was pretty sick. Like, everyone was cheering. And that was just like a, you know, holy crap. That was a feel-good moment. And so, for me personally, as someone who does not play in front of crowds, you know, almost ever, that is a cool feeling. So I can't imagine how it is for the pros who they are so accustomed to this that all of a sudden it was like, okay, boom, gone. Second round of Waco back in 2020, no spectators allowed. So then you have Colton getting his first big pro tour win and he's got no one there to, you know, besides for, (laughs) you know, other players and stuff like that. He's got no fans there to pretty much congratulate him at that point. I was sucks i was probably picking at his post a little much and i'm glad for your perspective and that's why it's the nick and matt show (laughs) because i felt like and again i was just trying to read into it and probably wrong paul if you're listening you can send me a message or don't let us just have our hot takes um we'll keep it that way but I felt like he was kind of saying like, Hey, had we had spectators there, I might've, I might've played a little better. Now that's just literally kind of how I read it. I was like, yeah, a missed putt there, there, like Paul performs really well under pressure and with people watching. I think you add yeah. both of those. He had the pressure. Yep. Um, just a side note, my son Hunter, uh, junior sponsored disc golfer has told me and he's only a let he just turned 11 but he has told me at one point uh, in a side conversation after a competition i said like hey does having a gallery there make you nervous um he's performed at worlds he's performed at us juniors all these other things and he actually told me dad i actually like i like when there's a lot of people watching because mm-hmm. i said it doesn't he says i play better when people are watching because and it helps him, I think, focus. It's like, I'm going to yeah. show them that I can put in this 40-footer. And yeah, so I think, exactly. so that's me picking apart, obviously, his his social post, and it means nothing. Me, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm just making something up out of his post. I think you're right. It's just a yeah. simple, we want the spectators to enjoy what's awesome and happening right now. It's kind of a letdown that Ricky and I are battling, and we can't have everybody there. But... Do yeah, you think I think that's one big Do you thing. think yeah. hot take? Do you think he could have pulled off the tie or the victory had we had 500 or 1000 people watching? Paul Macbeth, does I he mean, get an advantage? Yeah, I 
I, I don't know if there's necessarily an advantage because I think Ricky <laughs> could say the same thing that he feeds off that as well. True, true. I think, yeah. I think if there's 500 people there, yeah, Paul could have won it. I think if there's 500 <laughs> people there, Ricky could have won it. I mean, you can't take away that Ricky, you know, he shot 16 down on the course. They both went bogey, bogey free. I mean, he played a great round. I, I think obviously, you know, Paul does love those moments. Paul does love the spectator aspect of the sport. And I think after a year of having realistically no spectators, you know, a lot of pros are ready to be back in that seat of where, yeah, there are hundreds of people, you know, watching this event live. Yeah, it's um, it's it's been an interesting year so far. I'm going to kind of start to wrap up the show with that. We have come to it. We've analyzed it a little bit with our takes. There's going to be plenty of people who have their own opinions. That's what the beauty of an opinion is. Um, I hope you can comment. Let us know what you think about some of this. Uh, Let us know what you thought about some of these interviews. Something that stood out to you, um, be sure to comment. We do read them. Um, We skip over the the true haters. No, I'm kidding. If you bring a yeah. if you bring a good and respectful comment, well thought yeah. out, there's a good chance we'll respond to it, and we'd like to have your valued input. Um, Nick, is there anything we missed in this one week's time that people are chanting at us right now through their their car speakers or their uh, YouTube screens, saying, "Hey, you forgot to talk about this." Ah, uh, there's probably something. Anything? There's got to be something. Nothing. It, what it is, honestly, I have no idea. I think I can kind of just briefly, you know, note some people that didn't cash at the last event. I think Thomas right. Gilbert, Ezra Aderhold, <laughs> AJ Carey, Brody. Um, average to win it was 1079. Average for last cash in the MPO division was 1003. Uh, congrats to Katrina Allen. We actually didn't really get to say that too much, but congrats to Katrina for winning the FPO division. She averaged 979 which is, I think, 13 points above her rating at the moment. And then FPO's last cash was 920 rated. So shout out to all the FPO players, MPO players making cash this week at the Silver Series event. I'm looking forward to Texas States. And like I said, if someone knows if there is coverage of this event, just shoot me a DM. I'd Nick, love to watch it. I'm not really sure. This is sure a national is, tour, but... right? It's a yeah. national tour. So no, no, no. I meant, I meant if there's coverage of the course, like in previous years. Oh, oh, oh. I'm like, yeah, yeah. D- no, 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 yeah, no, no, no. I, Nick, I know it's live, all disc golf. Live network. disc golf. The disc golf network. Yeah. yeah. Live disc golf yeah. for disc golf all year. It's insane. Yeah. Now, yep, exactly. I will just say. Spoiler alert. Sorry. No, listen, <laughs> no we didn't say that at all. Today. It, it, okay. But I'm just going to say this. <laughs> I'm just going to. I have to say this. And I ha- it's so. not in my show notes. So you guys <laughs> buckle up. No. We had somebody comment out of the millions of people who browse YouTube, someone stumbled across and supported foundation podcasts as well as the Nick and Matt show. And they left a significantly go find it. If you'd like to guys on our last stream, I think it was our last stream. I can't recall. It's, it's somewhere paragraphs worth of comments. And they ultimately said, it's a bunch of BS that you've done spoilers. You put it in the title of your live stream. Um, who won the event? You didn't have to do that. You don't respect us, the viewer. Um, because of that, we don't respect you. And we are not supporting, run subscribing from everything. We'll never watch again. Bye. Now, I read that and I think to myself, well, we can't have a conversation with that individual, number one. Number two, talking about live events and sports is our job. 
Do we have to put it in the title? No, but we're trying to attract the audience who is interested in that. Yeah, there is an audience purposes. Yeah, there is an audience that is interested in that. And so how I guess we could have said, like, we're going to talk to the winner. But like, how long are we going to tiptoe around events now? To be fair, they they brought a, a somewhat valid point and they said Memorial Championship was only post-round edited. So mm-hmm. our only option was to watch post-round and not live. I'll give them that, but at the same time, I, it's it, I realize there's going to be two live, groups. There's going to be two groups of it's, people. It's yeah, it's live sports. So, I mean, look, I don't I don't watch the NBA consistently because I don't have cable and I don't have the network that streams the NBA. So the second that I know the Celtics are playing, usually on Instagram, I follow the Celtics account and it tells me first quarter score, halftime score, third quarter score and the final score. And that's, you know, my live updates for it. I don't go and watch post-produce or anything like that, which I'm sure I can go on YouTube and look at the highlights and then figure out who wins. But it's live sports. There's going to be spoilers. Like Matt said, it's our job to talk about this. And one of the, main things that we've done while we're kind of switching over the transition of the foundation podcast network and this, you know, multiple guest interview style podcast is that we're trying to get on the MPO winner from the previous event. We want to get on the FPO winner of the previous event. We want to get on the storyline. Like Casey white had a great weekend. That's who we want to have on the show. Ricky won the event. That's who we want to have on the show. Yeah. We would have loved to have cat on. Unfortunately it didn't work out, but then we got, Second place, Heather Young, and she told us a little bit what was going through her mind. So that's honestly that's what we're trying to do. Promotional purposes, though. We yeah, if, you know, <laughs> hey, who are we having on the show? We're having the 2021 Open at Belton winner, Ricky Wise Hockey. So yeah, well, tonight <laughs> I, I actually spoiler. didn't. I actually didn't do it, and maybe it was yeah. a test to see how it comes off. Just saying, our multiple guests. But here's something that just struck me as kind of funny, and I mean this with all the respect in the world. I I do not mean to disrespect anybody. But the individual who made that comment, again, I do not know them. It's it's almost anonymous, right, through YouTube. Like, I don't know. But they said they're unsubscribing, and it's been, I think, four years they've been watching. This is the first time they've ever had an event spoiled thanks to us. Now, the best part to me is they said they had unsubscribed, <laughs> and they weren't even going to watch the show. Like, as in, they were yeah. already on it, but then they're unsubscribing and stopping watching it. So the best part is they're not going to hear this rant, and... The people, I don't know what else to say. Like, Matt, I know, I know what to say. And I'm going to say it. Ready? <laughs> to everyone watching right now and to everyone listening, we're going to spoil events. I'm sorry. On Monday nights at 7 o'clock when the Nick and Matt show goes live, you're we, damn straight that we're going to say who won the tournament. We respect them too. <laughs> it's like, kind of like if I know driving by. Yeah. Um, this one signboard, this billboard that always posts to win something. Like if I know, like stay away from that. I do not know what else to say, except that uh, there have been times, there have been times where I wanted to watch like an NFL game after it was played, but you know what? I get that. Yeah. But at the same time, if it's spoiled, I do not rant to the person who spoiled it to me. Yeah. I don't do it. I think I, think I realize my, it's my, my fault. To, it's my fault. Yeah. It's my fault. <laughs> I think my best thing to say about that is, you know, look, you got to try really hard not to get anything spoiled. I think in sports now with all the different social medias and everything like that. So for future references to people who are listening to the podcast or watching us live, 
Uh, we are going to talk about the winners. So if you'd like to <laughs> wait till Tuesday or Wednesday after all the post round production comes out and there's no issue with that whatsoever. The stream gets uploaded live onto YouTube and then it stays up there. And then we also post it on all the podcast platforms. So the tides, the tides are changing. Spoilers. Yeah, the tides are changing too. some people will say they'll never be able to watch it live. And I get that. And I would just say you with all due respect, seriously, I do not disrespect that person. I could play disc golf with them. I could be friends with that person. If they were my friend, I would have a serious conversation if they were very upset about something about that. And I would say it's not their fault. Like the people who are Mm -hmm. spoiling it, you think it's their fault because you read it on their page, but that's what their job is. It'd be kind of like, and this is all seriousness here. You ready for this point? Do we have Paul Macbeth having to hold off until Terry Miller posts his media coverage? Can, can Paul announce that he won? Can Ricky announce that he's won? They're spoiling it. Like are, how far does this go? Do we talk not about a tiers, B tiers, like national tour? Like, Oh, it can't like what level, where does it stop? Like I'm done ranting. You've heard it from me. (laughs) No, exactly. I mean, (laughs) no, I I get it. I think that's the toughest thing about spoilers and live sports, but you know, all we can say is that, look, we're going to spoil it every single Monday night at seven o'clock. So tune in later on. (laughs) All right. We, we, we appreciate all of our support, all of our followers, everybody. Again, you can check out. And we had somebody, I had somebody come up to me this week, Nick, and say, guess what I bought? And I said, I don't know, but it sounds pretty cool because you're asking me what you bought. Yeah. And he's like, a Nick and Matt shirt. And so that's really cool to have people doing that. Um, so whoever did that, thank you to that person. We both appreciate that from the bottom of our shout hearts. Shout out that to Paul Kranz. Super nice. That's That is a local player. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you can do that. You can go over to Foundation uh, Disc Golf dot com. Foundation Discs dot com. <laughs> you think I would know. But Nick. <laughs> And people want to know if we can make our contract public because we were talking about making contracts public. I will say Nick and I received our first checks today. Thank you very much for the support from yeah. Foundation Podcast. It's But it's strictly because of our listeners and our viewers. We totally appreciate it. I'm officially retiring from the drilling and blasting <laughs> industry because of this first check. So Too much disclosure, Nick. <laughs> Too much disclosure. No, just kidding. I, I quit my job because I wanted to get better at disc golf. <laughs> All right. No, anyways, uh, to everyone listening and checking us out right now, we really appreciate it. Any support goes a long way. And, you know, I had someone come up to me this weekend in, at a tournament, and he was just like, hey, man, my family loves watching the Nick and Matt show. And it was kind of funny because – Obviously, in years past, you know, or in weeks past, people will say like, oh, are you are you the guy that was in a couple of like Simon's videos or like in Paul's videos? And they're like, oh, it's it's Nick Carl. Like, you know, what's it like being in Paul's videos and stuff like that? And <laughs> it's nice. Like, it's obviously, you know, I love I love it when people come up to me and say that. But for someone to come up to me and say, hey, man, you know, I love watching the Nick and Matt show. It's really awesome. I love the topics you guys do and everything like that. That to me, that felt awesome. So. We really appreciate it. Honestly, it, it does not go unnoticed. Yeah, we do. And I love meeting every one of you out there. If you have a bone to pick with us, then do it. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll enjoy throwing <laughs> around a disc golf with you um, and yeah. be friends. Yeah, let's all be friends. All right, Nick, go ahead and close out the show. All right, everybody, please go like, subscribe, comment, turn on the notifications to when we go live. It's every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. And then uh, check us out on all your podcast platforms. Leave a review if you like the show. We honestly greatly appreciate it tell someone you love them this week and we will catch you in the next one all right nick you're awesome peace out appreciate it the nick and matt show 
a disc golf podcast designed for you, the Disc Golfer. Find the Nick and Matt show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel. 